World War II. It's known as the greatest generation. And these are their stories. It's the World War II Project. This is the Americhicks with your host, Kim Munson. Welcome to the AmeriChicks World War II Project. I am Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website, AmeriChicks.com. That's where we are on Facebook and Twitter. And sign up for our emails uh, at our website as well. Uh, We'll keep you apprised of upcoming guest shows, important events. Uh, And all of our World War II Project stories are archived there. So if you want to go back and listen to them, you can share them with people. Be sure and check that out, AmeriChicks.com. Uh, While we have interviewed over over 100 World War II veterans, we are adding in stories of Korea, which only occurred uh, about six years after World War II, but it's many times called the Forgotten War, and we want to make sure that it is forgotten no more. And on the line with us, we have Herculano Diaz. He uh, was in the Second Rangers uh, Company in Korea. Uh, Welcome to the show, Herc Diaz. Okay, I'm on. Okay. Uh, tell us a little bit about you. Uh, where did you grow up? Uh, what was your childhood like? Okay. Uh, I grew up in uh, Bridgeport and Stratford, Connecticut, in that area. We moved from uh, Bridgeport into Stratford, like, in uh, 1942. And uh, it was a normal... Normal uh, school, normal school, normal. It was just like any other kids growing up in a, in a, uh, might call it a suburb of of a city. Okay. Well, and so you were a child during World War II. What do you remember about that? Oh, I can remember the, uh, the, uh, I guess they call them wardens. When we had a practice air raid drill with uh, blowing a whistle and telling everybody to put the lights out and stuff like that. And I can remember, of course, uh, the um, uh, all, all, all the all the anything you needed, like for meat and potato, you know, food. Uh, we were all on and gasoline for your car. We were all on. Uh, I guess it was like a budget. Or like There's rations. only so much. You, you, you'd get a stamps to stamp on your car. That says how much gasoline you can get at one time. You know, stuff like that. Right, and and rubber for tires. I, I think that everything was pretty right. limited because everything was pushed to the, the war effort. Mm-hmm. What did you think when you heard that World War II was over? Uh, how Can you remember how old you were and what went through your mind? Well, I was... I, I, I was uh, just about becoming a teenager then, and uh, all, all I remember is we were all happy, you know, happy to uh, see our relatives and our friends uh, 
come back home. Well, that's that's for sure. Now, five years later, the Korean War started. And, of course, by this time, you're, you're uh, becoming uh, a young adult. I guess you, you were already, but but you were of age that you could go into the service. So explain what uh, what happened between 1945 and 1950 uh, when before the uh, Korean War started. Well, in, in, in those years that you just recited, that's the time I, when I was going to high school okay. in uh, Stratford, Connecticut. And that's all. Uh, that's all that I can remember. That was prime thing in my life at that time was going to school. And uh, by the last year of high school, I decided that I wanted to go to. Uh, into, I wanted to become a paratrooper. Let's put it that way. I, I had read about them and heard about them, and um, and uh, I was. I graduated from high school already, and that summer I told my parents I'd, I wanted to join the Army. And there was, they were hesitant about that, and, I, and then I just about said, you know, well, I'll have to wait until next year when I get 18, and then I can go on my own. So uh, they decided to uh, sign up. Time give me the permission to go into service. So January 48, I was in uh, Fort Dix in a lot of snow going through basic training. And you you went in at the age of 17 years old. That is absolutely amazing, Herc Diaz. I, I hear many stories like that, but um, just it's astonishing to me because at this, this time in America, there's not a lot of 17-year-olds that I think uh, could possibly do that. So anyway, you have gone, gone into the Army. It's 1948, and you wanted to be a paratrooper. Right. And uh, we need to make a note that you ended up with an all-black ranger company. So explain what happened. You've, got, you've gotten into the Army. You know, how did you okay. end up in this? I went in the Army January 48. Uh, about four months later, I, I, had, I already made, made it known that I wanted to go to Airborne. So after basic training, I was sent to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, to the 82nd Airborne Division. Uh-huh. The 82nd Airborne Division in 1948 was had only two black outfits in the in the whole division. One was the Third Battalion, 505, and the other one was the 503rd Airborne and the aircraft. We were part of the 82nd Airborne Division, but we were segregated, as everything else in the South was. Okay. So, uh, I, November of 1948, I, we were in, I, like I said, we started in Fort Bragg, home of the 82nd, and then November 1948, I went to jump school, which was in Fort Benning, Georgia. As a matter of fact, while you mentioned, while I mentioned Georgia, a cousin of mine is now the commanding general of Fort Benning, Georgia. Oh my gosh, that is really awesome, Man. General Brito, B-R-I-T-T-O. Okay, so um, 
after the after the and our our our, um, our uh, jump school class or group was mixed with anybody any race we we had foreign officers and foreign enlisted men mostly they were from uh, south american countries that you know ran down a ran down a highway the same way we did so after uh, i can't even remember how many weeks it was but it ended up you would make five parachute jumps and one glider ride because at that time we still had glider men so uh, you were primarily a paratrooper and a glider man and uh and Herb, let's just after explain let's just graduated ex- then you go back to your outfit and okay. so we sent back to uh, Fort uh, Bragg back to the uh, 80th air uh, 503rd air, airborne and aircraft which became in uh, uh, like 49 or in 1949, I, I believe that's when it was the designation was changed from 503rd Airborne Anti-Aircraft to the 80th uh, Airborne Anti-Aircraft. Okay. Okay. Which was still uh, all black outfit. Okay. Did you and, when, uh, when you were doing your training though? You said that it was uh, desegregated. Um, I mean, d- did you see much prejudice or anything as you guys were all training together, or what was that like? Oh yeah. Well, you know, uh, it wasn't. I I I really I tell you I really remember the day I got off the train in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And I saw a white soldier who was saying, who was like hollering. He had his papers in his hand and said, goodbye, you rebels. I keep your, you can keep your rebel country. I said, God, what am I getting myself oh into? Oh, my gosh, I'm sure you were. So if, if a guy from north who happened to be white didn't like it down there, I said, I know it's going to be a problem. Was it, was it tough down there? Yeah, well, you know, they, <laughs> everything was segregated. They, any, anything you had to do was segregated. Uh, you couldn't you couldn't go into any any restaurants down there unless it was a black-owned restaurant. Actually, if you went to uh, to see uh, James Brown, let's just say, well, you'd be downstairs and the white people would only be upstairs watching people dance that's all there was no no mingling you know okay so i mean it's just like anything else you you don't like it but you have to you have to you know you have to you have to deal with it right and so it was in 1948 that president truman did um issue the executive order 9981 that desegregated the military and of course it takes time to to you know get people figured out on that so let's let's move on to um jump school what was it like the first time that you jumped out of an airplane 
No, that was the first time I ever rode in an airplane. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The first time I got in an airplane in my life, I had to jump out of it, okay? <laughs> now, why would you but, jump out of a perfectly uh, good airplane? Yeah. You know, that, I wonder about that. <laughs> well, like I used to tell people, people ask me, you, you, were you crazy then? I said, no, that was $50 extra per month for for being a paratrooper. That's why. <laughs> that, that's why I had no hesitation about joining up. Okay. How high were you when you made that first jump? Uh, probably... A thousand to a, to fifteen hundred feet. That's that's about it. Okay. Um, if you if you got every, any higher, it would be difficult. I, you know, with a with the with the type of parachute we jumped with, and uh, any lower, you'd be you'd be getting a hit. It'd be landing on the ground quicker than you and anticipated. Anticipated, huh? And it's always nice to have that parachute open when you uh, land on the ground, right, Herc Diaz? <laughs> yeah. Now, now, one other quick question. You mentioned that you also needed to take uh, one training as a glider-man. And in, in World War II, I, this is really fascinating. If people don't know exactly what these gliders were, is you could put anywhere, I think, from like 12 to 15 men on these gliders, yeah. and they would be towed behind C-47s, and then they would cut right. the rope and glide in behind enemy lines, and then at that point in time become infantry. So uh, tell us a little bit about that glider training flight as well. well the glider training was, if you want to call it training, to get your glider wings, all you had to do was get in that glider and make one flight and land, and that qualified you as a glider man. Okay. That's all. And was that well, thrilling well, at all? The only other part you had to learn was uh, we had la- what they said lash- lashing and loading. Uh, you got you had to learn how to tie these uh, if, you, if if they had jeeps or equipment inside the glider. You had to learn how to tie tie them down steadfastly. You know. Right. But that was it, and you just go up. The, the like the C forty seven will pull it. The glider and the glider was like uh, it was a, like a frame with uh, uh, I wouldn't uh, frame with canvas outside of it, and that's all it was. That's why they usually when they when they were landing in rough areas during the Second World War, that they uh, crashed and burned. You know, not burned, mm-hmm. but you know, crashed and uh, fell apart. You know, but it wasn't a it wasn't difficult training, as opposed to paratrooper training. You had to start off jumping from a, 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 a platform. To show you how to how to make your parachute landing fall, then you went up on a forty forty foot uh, what do you call it? Uh, you had to go up these stairs. And they had like a a, 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 a copy uh, or a replica of a the door of a of C forty seven okay. or C forty six, and you hooked up. And when the sergeant said go, you had to jump out of here. That was to teach you the, the parachute um, parachute landing fall, how 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 to, how to hold your body when you jump out of a, an airplane, and how to prepare for your landing. 
And then after the 45th, 45th, I believe it was 45 feet. Then after that, they would, they had towers. Uh, The towers were like a hundred and some feet high metal towers and and, and they, uh, a big uh, part of it would come down to the ground and well if you ever saw these glider rides that they had at Coney Island in New York it was similar to that only the, the you would they would attach you to this circle metal circle which would bring you up to 100 feet and then let you go. Okay. And and the only thing you had to worry about then was don't don't crash into that tower. <laughs> yeah, that would make... <laughs> because you you had already learned how to land, make your parachute landing fall. So okay, from the, so you started with the forty-five foot tower, the hundred foot tower, and then your next thing was out of a of aircraft in flight. Okay, we're just about done with this particular segment. But asking you about that first jump from an airplane, were you afraid? No, by that time you are, I'm speaking for myself, I, I was not afraid. I was uh, almost a uh, a robot. Everything that the sergeant said, stand up, hook up, check, check the equipment. You just followed him. And when he said go, you went. Okay. And, so uh, you, you became... You became a robot, which was good. You didn't have time to start thinking about what will happen if this chute doesn't open. Okay. (laughs) That's a good thing. Well, Herc Dias, this is fascinating. You are a Korean World War, or excuse me, a Korean War vet. And we've been talking about uh, your training. When we come back, uh, we'll take you from uh, your training to when you start to get into uh, moving on over to Korea. Before we do that, though, we'd love to give a shout out to one of our favorite sponsors, and that is Hooters. Uh, This weekend's a big weekend for the NFL playoffs, and uh, it's, you may wonder where you need to watch the game and uh, it's Hooters of course Hooters is your game day headquarters so you can watch the NFL playoffs and the big game at Hooters their specials start at $10 for a draft and boneless wings and if you come into any Hooters during the big game you can enter to win a brand new 55 inch 4k HDR TV and did you know that Hooters wings can fly you can have Hooters wings delivered right to your doorstep so try their new smoked wings they're very delicious and only half the calories so order your Hooters to go or have them delivered right to your front door for more information check out HootersColorado.com that's HootersColorado.com let them know that you know the AmeriChicks uh, this is Kim Munson with the AmeriChicks we are uh, with our World War II project talking to Korean War vet Herc Diaz about his experience obviously in Korea will be right back. Welcome back to the AmeriChicks World War II Project. I'm Kim Munson. As you know, we are adding in stories of Korea. So be sure and check out our website, AmeriChicks.com. All of our shows are archived there. Uh, Sign up for our emails. We'll let you know about upcoming guests and important things that are coming down the pike. And we are the AmeriChicks on Facebook and Twitter as well. Uh, we have the great honor today of talking with Herc Diaz. He was in the 2nd uh, Rangers, an all-black ranger company, 
in the Korean War. And uh, we, in the first segment, talked about uh, where he grew up, his experience as he had gotten into the Army and jump school. Herc, let's take it from there. You've done your jumps. What happens after that? What happens after you jump? No, what happened after you'd gotten all of that done? Oh, okay. Where, where'd you go from well, there? After jump school, you reported back to the 82nd Airborne Division to your outfit there. Uh, we had already started training on um, the equipment that we had, like uh, we were in uh, airborne artillery. And then uh, you, then you got your jump. Uh, so then you you were a real uh, airborne and uh, anti-aircraft man. But then around September, the war in Korea started June 25th, 1950. The Around September... We heard there's some guys, some officers coming up here to talk to you, uh, you guys about rangers. So they had an officer came, and he he, he was mounted a uh, a platform that were usually the sergeant that's leading us in uh, physical training would uh, would stand. It's a good, nice place to stand where everybody. And um, he told us that they were looking for men to become rangers. So what's the, what's the difference? Explain for our listeners. Uh, you're a paratrooper, obviously, but right. what does it mean to be a ranger? The, the, the difference with the parachutes, paratroopers usually jump behind the lines just like rangers would. But the rangers, they were training us small-sized raids, you know, let's say like uh, 10 men uh, or a squad, uh, you know, to, 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 to go not right in the, uh, not on the front line, but be, be behind behind the enemy, where his headquarters are. We would att- attack, you know, fast attacks, capture some prisoners, blow up their uh, their equipment and get in in fast and out fast unfortunately oh and we had uh, great trainers if you uh, if uh, veterans are listening to this they know who I'm talking about Major General John Singlob who was a, a second world war OSS veteran he was a major in the, in the United States Army when he was one of our trainers. He trained us in the parachuting because, you know, we had to make night jumps and day jumps, okay? Okay. So uh, we had guys like General Singlob training us. You like to get in fast, do your thing, get out. Unfortunately... When we got there, uh, we got there on uh, the, the last uh, December 30th, 1950. And this, when you say got there, you mean Korea, our right? Our brother company was an all-white company, of course, and we were we were we were brothers. But um, the first Ranger company got there, I'd say, beginning of. December. They were there before us. And when we got there, 
the 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 um, the enemy had pushed the Americans and the Korean army all the way down to what they called the Pusan perimeter. If they went any further than Pusan, they'd be in the ocean. So um, things had changed from from why we were in training to when we got to Korea. Each Ranger Company, and that's including Second Ranger Company, was attached to an air to, was was attached to a infantry division. Second Rangers, we were attached to the Seventh Infantry Division, which consisted of the Seventeenth. 31st and 32nd regiments. Okay. okay, so what they did, what the uh, what the people in charge did, they they were short on they were short on men, and so they would use us to inf- uh, to uh, say like um, attach us to the to the 32nd regiment, first battalion. We'd go out on patrols with them to, to make an increased uh, amount of men that went on patrol. And uh, we, 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 we were attached to every regiment in, in, the, in the 7th Division. This goes for all the Rangers. We were attached to all today. So um, we ended up... Uh, uh, like we said, we were attached to the different uh, range. We we did everything in there, you know, long long range patrols, short patrols. Uh, we we were we were uh, riding shotgun on on uh, trains because the guerrillas had taken over some trains and uh, stuff like that. Unfortunately. When, uh, the first three ranger companies that were there, we had, as far as clothing, we, we were, we had good weapons, but and it didn't. If we didn't have good weapons, we were in our training in Fort Benning. We, we they already had captured weapons that we trained with the enemy's weapons also. Not only just ours, but with the enemy's weapons, we were we were we were ready for them. So, um, oh yeah. Well, you said you sounds like maybe the clothing. How 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 was that? Oh yeah. Okay. So here, we went there. Each ranger company, uh, a regular infantry company, has two hundred and maybe thirty men. A ranger company had 110 men and five officers. Okay. At the first month that we were there, uh, well, let's see. By the end of the first month, we were down to like, out of 110 men, we were down to like 60, 65 men. Okay, first, we had casualties. And then, and then the frostbite got us. This is where, where, where clothing comes in. They told you don't sleep in your don't don't zip up in a sleeping bag at night unless you want to die in it. So uh, now, because why, Herc? Why why was that? 
because you get in a sleeping bag and you fall asleep, and the enemy's going to hear you sleeping. I was one of the guys that any time it was my turn to to uh, say there's two of us in a, in a foxhole, if it was my turn to get down in a hole and go to sleep and, and, the, and let the other man watch, every time I every time I fall asleep, wake up, guys! You're making too much noise. That's region. They, we, they, they, the people that were there before us told us, when you just get in that zip bag, in that bag, don't zip it up, because they found so many guys that were killed in their sleeping bags. Okay. The, the stuff, the, the, the boots that we had for our feet were were not. Were, it wasn't. It was. It could have been better. We had so many guys. They, okay, we had. Say, if you had three pairs of socks, you had a lot. You, the pair of socks that you had with with the boots, when they got wet, and you know we were to, we were in snow that was. It was the 1950 was, and 51 was the worst winter they had in Korea in many many years. You you take off the socks that are wet and you put them under under your arms. The two it's one of the one of the warmest places in your body. So one pair is drying under your arms and you got the other one on. So I mean that's how it was. The, the the clothing was not adequate for uh, for, the, for that that uh, kind of kind of weather. Were any so, of your fingers or toes fro- uh, frostbitten? Pardon? pardon? Were, were any of your toes or fingers frostbitten or frozen? No, I um, I was uh, I had a slight case of. Uh, uh, frostbite of my feet. I was in the hospital maybe two weeks, and then I went back to my outfit. So in the interest, so at one time we went from 110 men to like 64 men because guys were, we had guys take off their gloves and their finger, the the tips of their hands, tips of their fingers were all black. Frostbite, and then you take off your boots, and they frostbitten feet. There's so many of our guys, not so not so many, but a lot of our guys, when they left there in January to go to the hospital, they they were so bad off that they that they sent them right to the they sent them to Japan and then to the United States. Guys that were with us when we got in the ambush. And we lost. Um, uh, we lost. We we had eight 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 of our guys killed that day, and and, and ten wounded. Well, one of the guys who who was one of our great uh, BAR men. The, the Explain Colonel to people what a BAR is. Pardon me. Tell our listeners what a BAR is. A, a, a Browning automatic rifle. Okay. As opposed to carrying a weapon, uh, say a M1 rifle that you 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 can only shoot one bullet at a time. It's uh, it's uh, it's between an M1 rifle, which most of the soldiers carries in, and a 30 caliber machine gun. Okay. It was an automatic weapon, which was very effective. 
And they were heavy, so too, weren't they? One of our guys, by the time, in that, in that uh, ambush that we lost all those guys that day, and, and we got to tell, we got to say about the guys that led the company that was ahead of us. They lost twice as many guys as we did, and I think three of their officers were killed that day. But uh, my friend James, when the colonel that was telling everybody to move, he told two of our BER men, "I'm putting you guys in for metal." And that, by that night, when James took off his gloves, all the tips of his, of all his fingers were black, and some of his toes were black also. And like we never saw him again until we were all civilians, because he went right to Japan. From Japan, bam, right to the states. Okay. So the the. the, the not only are you worried, uh, not only are you fighting the the, uh, the the enemy, you're fighting the, the, the weather. The elements. So uh, that's, so like I said before, you go from 110 men, well, 110 men and five officers, well, we never had... One, two, three. Out of our five officers, four of them had, had gotten wounded. Yeah. Our company commander refused to go further back. You know, when they wanted to send hospital, we wouldn't go for, no further back than than the uh, battalion aid station. Okay, question, Herc. Were the officers black or were they white? The officers were black. It was an all black outfit. Okay, okay. Now, yeah. Now, do you can you tell us a little bit about that day when you guys were ambushed? If you if you feel comfortable, if not, let's move on to some of your other stories. Well, we can we can talk about it if you want. Okay. What happened that day? Okay. Like I say, our, we were attached to the Rangers. Were attached to the division. The division will say, "Okay, I need you guys with the 32nd Regiment this week." The next week, you say, "I need you with the 31st Regiment." Next week, 17th Regiment. All you know, we were with Seventh Division, and we're going out on a, a, a I guess a. a, a a mass patrol. I, I, that's not the word, but uh, uh, there's a word. Uh, we, it was one company from the Seventh Division on this patrol, and we were we were uh, added on to them. Okay. Okay. Their company. First thing that happened is when we. We were on our way toward this village that we could see. All of a sudden, we hear some some firing, and we see these guys piled up. There was like four or five uh, Koreans or, or, or Chinese, wherever they were, and uh, those were the, they caught them in the village and they got and they were killed. Okay. I guess they were trying to escape. 
All right, so the company that we're following goes in, goes like down, down that mountain and down the hill and then going up into the hills. And then all of a sudden, all hell broke loose. What happened when they were laying up in the hills waiting for us? Okay. That's the biggest casualty, amount of casualties we had that one day. Okay. And, and and these guys died. I mean, some of these guys wouldn't even. Uh, our Lieutenant Pryor, first platoon leader, he gets hit right right through his helmet, right through his helmet, and gashed his head. And here's a man you had to. You tried to put him in a in a in a try to put him in a get him out of there on a stretcher. He refused. I said that soldier needs it more than I do, and boom, he fall out. Oh. And then our company commander, he's a guy that got got pretty bad wounded, but he wouldn't go any farther than the. Uh, in the um, aid station. Wow, because, wow. Herc, I tell you, that the stories, I just got chills as you were telling me about these these two men. Um, you know, let's let's go to break. Uh, this uh, Now, this particular, you were attached to these uh, different, let's see, regiments. But you, different regiments of the 7th Division. Okay. But didn't you also do some combat um, paratroop uh, jumps as well? Yeah, we didn't get to that. Okay. You know what? Let's go to break. Uh, I think okay. we've got everybody sitting on the edge of their seats. And so let's go to break. This is the AmeriChicks. I'm Kim Munson. and we are talking with Herc Diaz. He is a Korean War vet. He was with the All Black Ranger Company, the second Rangers in Korea. And this is absolutely fascinating. He just told us a story that I still have chills about regarding an ambush that they went through. But we want to hear about these these combat jumps as well. So this is the AmeriChicks. Uh, check out our website, AmeriChicks.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the AmeriChicks. I'm Kim Munson. We have on the line with us Herc Diaz. This is our World War II project. We are also adding in stories of Korea. Korea just started about five years after World War II, and uh, it's many times called the Forgotten War, and we can forget it no longer. Uh, these were amazing men and, and women uh, that went again to fight against evil and tyranny. And on the line with us is Herc Diaz. He was a part of the 2nd Ranger Company in Korea. It was an all-black ranger group. And the story is absolutely fascinating. We've got one segment left here, Herc. Let's talk about you guys jumping in your combat uh, jumps. So le- okay. uh, let's begin with that. Okay. We, uh, one day, uh, we get the word, okay, guys, we're going to Tegu. When they said Tegu is way in the rear. So as a matter of fact, we, they, we, we right at that moment, we knew that something big was uh, happening. She said, we're, we're, we're going to stay right by the airport. Okay, so we came down to Tegu and, uh, you know, to, 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 to ride in a, in a truck as usual. And, uh, 
We got there, and the 187th Airborne Regimental Regimental Combat Team was there. So we knew right then that there's a jump in the, coming up soon, and we're going to be part of it. And that's what every, well, every paratrooper wants to say, that he made a combat jump. For those who don't know, that's when they're shooting at you when you're coming down in your parachute. I'm not sure that that's something that I would say I really want to do, Herc, but but go ahead. uh, It ended up they attached our our company, the 2nd Ranger Company, and our brother, White Company, which we, we, we called each other brothers. We went to a training at the same time. And so the two ranger companies were our company, the second company, and the fourth company. They uh, attached us to the 187th Airborne Regimental Combat Team to jump on a place called Munsani to to, uh, try to block in uh, uh, the enemy at this certain certain, um, uh, area. Our objective was Hill uh, Hill 151 was the, the highest hill in the area there. And uh, that was our objective. So uh, we jumped like, now. oh, I, before we got a jump, when we were putting on our shoots, our, our executive officer, Big Jim Queen, says, men, today you're going to make history. And he was right. It was the first time in the history of the United States Army that a black unit was part of an airborne combat jump. Wow. So uh, we became part of history that day. Wow. Some, uh, we jumped in the... Most of the planes that uh, the 187 jumper were these boxcars, C-82, C-119. But they had to get some old planes. I guess they didn't have enough planes around. So uh, we jumped to C-46 and, uh, and the C-47s, which were the old, mm-hmm. pla- old older planes that the Second World War paratroopers jumped out of. Right, okay. And, uh, of course, in a combat jump, you're jumping at a lower altitude than, oh, when, when we jumped that day, I didn't, when we were preparing for the, for the jump, I, di- I, I didn't have a chin strap, and we, there was none available, so I made a chin strap out of a, the cloth that a bandolier is made of, a bandolier's uh, mm-hmm. cloth thing that your ammunition is, is in. And uh, so we jumped, I don't know, maybe five, 600 feet was the altitude. And uh, when, I, when my parachute opened, when I got my opening shock, I also lost my helmet. So I said, oh, Lord, I'm going down here. <laughs> I don't have a helmet. So I landed on the side of some short trees there, and there was a guy laying there. Oh, oh, oh. And I said, were you hit? He said, no, no. He said, my back, my back. 
I said, uh, I'm going to get you, uh, I'm going to get the medics. And I hollered for the medics and told them that the guy was down. So when the medics took off his helmet, I said, thank you. <laughs> and I took his helmet because he didn't need it anymore. He was on his way out. Okay. And I didn't know until that night, we took that highest hill in the area, and I didn't know that night when I took off that helmet, it was a treasure trove inside that helmet. What was <laughs> in it? It was a pair of socks in there, oh. <laughs> something that you could always use. Oh, okay. So, so you got uh, a helmet and a pair of socks. Okay. <laughs> so that, that was a big that was that was my reward, and I I thank God for it. So anyhow, we. Uh, but that day, hey Herc, that day. So you jumped in. Uh, did you engage the enemy much? Uh, you did you take the hill? I mean, what happened exactly? Oh, oh yes. Uh, after I got the helmet, I went to, to get to find out. You know, we had uh, we had certain scarves we were so you know which platoon is who, which is which, and which which uh, ammunition is yours. You know. So I got with the platoon. We did our our objective was to take the hill, and it, there was things going on all all over this hill. Like our first sergeant, he he uh, he took fire from a machine gun, and he dropped he, he ran up there and dropped a grenade into the hole, and it was the he killed three men in there and. Uh, and he captured that uh, weapon. It was a Russian. It was a Russian machine gun. Uh, I can't remember what, what, what the nomenclature is, but uh, there were guys. There was uh, action going all over, and uh, and you had to clear the hill to to get on top. Well, it was a great day for us because we only had one man killed that day. Okay. Unfortunately, well, there was a guy named William Van Dunk. Strange name for a black guy, right? Yeah. But William Van Dunk was a Ramapo Indian. That's from up in New Jersey, upstate New York area. That was his first day of combat. He was one of our replacements. We had like 30, another officer and 30 replacements came in and joined us to, uh, like two weeks before we made this combat jump. Van Dunk was our only man to get killed that day. And we only had, I think, three or four uh, uh, men wounded. So uh, we took our objective which was the highest hill in the area, and uh, captured uh, quite a few enemy, and uh, so we 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 did we. It was a good job done by the second company that day. Okay, well, Herc, that that's quite a story. Uh, what about your other combat jump? No, we only made one combat jump. Oh, you only made one. Okay, I right. thought that you had done two. Well, okay, I'll tell you a little while we're talking about jumping. At one time, the, the you know after the, the President Truman uh, signed the signed this uh, order in 1948. Here it is, 1950, uh, 1951. We're still all black outfit. Mm -hmm. 
So um, they, uh, when I started this, I was telling you about we were not doing what we were supposed to be doing, what we were trained for, but we were doing good, good work. As a matter of fact, when the 7th the Division didn't even know what to do with blacks. They they sent them over to we this was when we were not and we were in the lull there and so they sent these black and a lot of them were uh, draftees to us to be trained. We had over 500 men on our roster at that time that we were training them. Anyhow, when we got the orders to go back up line, because. When they decided that we weren't doing jobs that we were, we were trained for and we were losing a lot of men, they decided to get rid of all the ranger companies in the United States Army. Hmm. Well, they didn't have a problem with us, all the ranger companies that were in Korea, because right across the, right across the water there in Japan was the 187th Airborne Regiment of combat team. The same guys that we jumped in combat with, they sent all the rangers to be part of the 187 Airborne. Okay, so is that where you ended up then? That's where we ended up. Okay, and what did you do then for the balance of the Korean War? Well, let's see. We went to Japan to 187 in uh, July. We, we were seven months in combat. And um, so the eighth month, we I can't think it was July. Yeah, July. Wait a minute. Yeah, July or August 1951, we went to Japan. And we... And that's where you were until it was time to go to to go back back to the stage. Oh, actually, the the one eight seven went back into combat. They the one eight seven airborne was the guys that when they captured an American general at uh, uh, Koji, which was an island where they had a prisoner of war camp. They had to send the 187 Airborne over there to uh, to, uh, <laughs> to make these guys uh, give up our prisoners and stuff like that. So, uh, and while we were in Japan, you know, we were, we were you know, I, I, if, if, I, I can't remember the numbers, but I say if you got, we did... For each, each, for each, uh, com- every, each month that you're in combat, say you got five points. Okay. If you were not in combat, and not in the combat outfit, you get two points, something like that. So, um, some guys wanted to go back to Korea and just finish our time. But uh, while we're on that, let me just tell you something. We had guys to go back to Korea. We had a guy in our company that got a Silver Star with the 2nd Ranger Company. He went back to Korea. Actually, he was sent back there because he was needed. 
he's a, he was quite a soldier, and he ended up on uh, Pork Chop Hill uh-huh. with the Seventh Division, and he picked up another medal there. He picked up the Bronze Star with a V for Valor. Uh-huh. We had one of our guys who was wounded on um, in Korea. Because a lot of the guys stayed in out of all these numbers I've shown you about many how many guys we had in the outfit, sixty four of these guys retired in the in the service. Wow! So, you know, so the net, that means that they ended up in in Vietnam. One of the guys that was wounded with in while well, he was with our company, he's our only guy that we got that. That was killed in Vietnam. Okay. And a lot of our guys went to Vietnam. Wow. Did you go to Vietnam? They were combat men, you know, and that's what you needed over there. Did you go to Vietnam, Perk? No, no. I I was I was not a career man. I did for four years and three months in the uh, service, and I got out. Okay. But uh, how did yeah? You see, we we went over there with 110 men. I told you we had like 30. 35 uh, uh, replacements. So out of that group of guys, like 145 guys, 15 of the guys became officers. Wow. One of our guys became a... Oh, well, well, so we had some guys, more than one guy was uh, became, became um, special force men. We had one guy went as a SEAL, and we had a lot, a lot of guys that uh, that stayed in that went to the Air Force. But like I say, we just had one, and we had guys like our 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 own our last officer that that we have that's alive, and actually right now there are um, are maybe t- maybe ten men. And one officer that are alive that were in Korea together. Well, I think that we'd love to talk with them as well. Herc, we are just about out of time. This has been such an honor to get to, to hear your story today. Very quickly, what would you say to the young people in America today? Oh, I don't know. Some, uh, some people think that the draft would be good for for our young people but it wasn't good actually for our, for Vietnam war but uh, I, I guess that would be that would be uh, something good for them to to to, to have uh, to do some time in this in the service and the work and the discipline and all yeah Herc, now, I, could I just add something here absolutely. that's very important? Like, you know, our number of guys, we had 110 men and five officers, and then later on uh, we had 30, uh, before the jump we had 30 or 35 men and one officer. Mm-hmm. And this group of, um, this handful of soldiers were awarded nine silver stars, mm-hmm. 11 bronze stars with V for Valor, 
and 100 Purple Hearts were given to the men of the of the Second Airborne Ranger Company. Well, that uh, kind of brings tears to my eyes, Herc. That's pretty amazing. Um, Herc Diaz, thank you so much. It's been such an honor to get to do this interview with you. Uh, thank you so much. I'm Kim Munson with the AmeriChicks. Be sure and check out our website, AmeriChicks.com. Herc's uh, interview will be uh, posted on there within the next day or so, and you can certainly share that, re-listen to it. Uh, Herc Diaz, this has been a privilege. Thank you so much, and I wish you all the best. God bless you. Join us next time for the World War II Project and your host, the AmeriChick, Kim Munson. Until then, keep saluting the greatest generation.